This is Israeli Technology Founders Speak, a podcast of conversations with successful Israeli high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs, with your host, Avraham Hermon. On this episode, Avraham spoke with Talia Cohen-Solal, the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus, an Israeli biotech startup that uses genetic testing and biological and medical data to develop personalized depression treatments for every patient in order to help them recover better and faster. Avraham sat down with Talia in her office to discuss her company's unique approach to depression treatments, her journey from an academic to an entrepreneur, what makes the Israeli startup scene so unique, how she developed and markets her product, and much more. This podcast is a creation of J.M.B. Davis Ben David, an intellectual property law firm serving clients around the world. You have great innovations. We keep them safe. It's not just enough to have a great startup idea. If you don't legally protect your innovations, products, and brand, anyone can claim them as their own. We help you keep your great innovations secure. Learn more by going to jmbdavis.com. That's jmbdavis.com. So Talia, what problem does Genetica Plus solve? At Genetica Plus, we believe that one of the biggest problems in major depression is getting patients to the right drug for them. There are currently over 70 different medications for the physician to choose from, and each medication takes four to six weeks to test. We want to take the patient right to the best drug for them without having to go through this period of testing. How do we do that? We're developing a simple blood test. The blood test combines the patient's genetics, the patient's history, and our neurobiological screen to predict which antidepressant the patient will have the strongest outcome from with the least side effects. And by doing so, we believe this will improve the ability of patients to stay on the drug if they find the right drug for them and tolerate it, as well as have the strongest uh, recovery from their depression. It takes four to six weeks for the average patient to get used to treatment? Four to six weeks is the amount of time it takes to, for the physician to really determine that that treatment hasn't worked for the patient. So it could be multiple periods of four to six weeks where a patient tries one drug and then another, and this can repeat itself a number of times until finally the patient receives the right treatment? Exactly. The patient can lose months to years of their lives through this process, and worse so, even their lives. It's during this period that the patient is most uh, vulnerable to suicidality, uh, especially during the switching between medications. That is a time when we they need our help the most, and we need to make sure that they don't have to go through this as long so we can reduce those numbers of suicides every year. Mm -hmm. So suicide is a serious threat to people with depression. There are estimates to say that 15% of patients suffering from major depression in their lifetime will commit suicide. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It seems current therapies are taking too long to help patients. Correct. And what's even worse is what's going on in the young adult population, where suicide is now the second biggest killer. In young adults over the last decade, there's been a 38% rise in major depression, and uh, uh, something like a quarter of high school students have considered a plan for a suicide. It's devastating numbers there. Unbelievable. Wow. How did you become an entrepreneur? And what made you feel like you're the right person to solve this problem? <laughs> so many different questions there. So 
Um, I became an entrepreneur very much based on the need, uh, the need that I saw in, in mental illness to personalize treatments. So uh, the decision to become an entrepreneur was not one that I took lightly and not to, that I didn't take first. And uh, there are many entrepreneurs who say, I want to start a company. What's the idea? I very much came from an academic background. I did a my undergraduate at Oxford in neuroscience and genetics, a PhD in the underlying causes of mental illness, uh, and my postdoc in the molecular and cellular mechanisms of schizophrenia, major depression, and bipolar disorder. And it was through this journey that I saw how individual everybody's mental illness was. It isn't one disease. It's really a, a plethora, a multitude of different illnesses that each person has as a consequence of their genetics and their environment growing up. And instead of treating it like one disease, we have to treat it like each of its individual diseases. And as I continued working in the cutting edge technologies available in the academic setting, I realized that we could be doing more today to personalize the treatment that people were getting in the mental health space. So after I finished my academic uh, career, I moved into industry. I joined us early stage startup working in rare genetic diseases, uh, personalized medicine in this, in the rare genetic disease space. And I saw the, gained the confidence in that environment to start a startup myself and, and saw what it took and what was achievable and made it, it seemed more real when you've had some firsthand experience in it. Um, and then after my Aliyah, uh, in 2017, uh, I decided that if I had the idea and I had some of the experience, this was the time to do it. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes Israel conducive for entrepreneurs? My story is that I made Aliyah and then decided to start my company. I, I can't say that I moved to start my company. All I've seen is an incredibly uh, positive, welcoming environment for entrepreneurs. I think that the ecosystem is very, uh, it's a small country, a very well-connected country. And the number of connections I've been able to make in such a short time, I think permeate far and wide throughout this country. And that ability to do so, so rapidly and with such important decision makers in the ecosystem um, and influences in the ecosystem is an amazing way to be able to get your startup off the ground. Um, I think that the, the life sciences environment here is incredible with some of the top research coming out from universities that compete on a global level. The entrepreneurial spirit from Weizmann and Hebrew U brings fantastic people for me to work with and bring into our growing team. Um, and the uh, number of people who are devoting their careers to life sciences means that this is the place to be able to build a really impressive early stage startup and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Your main market is outside of Israel. Why not start locally and then go abroad? I would say, I would say that's the default for Israeli companies. This is a very small market. Um, maybe you prototype or you pilot in the Israeli market, but really you have to have your eyes set on a bigger market in order to have the type of returns you need to generate to get investment. Um, so uh, we're looking towards the United States market, the US market for two reasons. One is the, the integration that both me and my co-founder have, both of us having spent over five years in the United States in, and in the psychiatric space I was working. Um, but most importantly, personalized medicine in the mental health space is already being recognized, is already being reimbursed. Um, and some of the work has been done to allow us to enter the market at prime time. You're not the first company to create a product for personalized medicine for depression. What makes you unique? 
So I'm glad to say we do have competitors in this space because it's very difficult to enter a totally new market, especially in the healthcare space, and to change physician behavior. Less than a decade ago, companies started offering a genetics-only test to predict which antidepressant you should take for the treatment of your, your depression and mental illness. The limitation, however, with genetics is today, our understanding of genetics is pretty limited to whether you can process the drug or how fast you process the drug. And it doesn't tell you what the drug does when it actually gets to the brain and also doesn't speak to the side effects of your depression. And so by, av- by combining genetics, patient history, and the neurobiology readouts that we're developing, we're able to get better responses and better outcomes for the patients. And so by having the, de- the genetics there in the market, it's already opened it up, but our technology is highly differentiated. So your technology works better for patients with a medical history? We conduct a patient survey, so the patient history comes with each patient if they choose to fill out the survey. They generally show quite a willingness to try and improve their medical outcomes, so it, but it is just one component. If the patient chooses to refrain from that, we still have great value to provide uh, an impact from the genetics and the neurobiology that we're reading out using our blood test. How accurate can your technology get? So 300 million people globally suffer from major depression. Some of those patients will have a relatively easy journey to their treatment. Approximately a third of patients will respond immediately to that first line of medication. Approximately a third will go on a very long journey to find their treatment. It's this 100 million people that we would like to make the biggest impact on and really stop their winding journey and take them to their best drug as soon as possible. Um, And so by doing so, we're going to help those patients' lives. We're going to help the lives of their carers, their loved ones, their supportive structure, which is highly affected by mental illness. We're going to help the physicians who are being judged more and more in today's medical society on the outcomes, and the outcomes aren't so great in mental health. We're going to help the employers who lose 400 million workdays a year to their employees who are suffering from major depression. Above that, of course, we're going to help the insurance providers who are struggling with rising costs. And finally, the major impact, the World Health Organization has declared major depression as the number one cause of disability globally. And it is on the agenda for major changes to try and help countries all over the world. And so that's how we believe by improving the lives of that third, and then two thirds, and then three thirds, all patients with major depression will have an impact throughout society. That's very impressive. How is Genetica Plus going to make money? So we want to fit into the infrastructure of the already uh, functioning healthcare system focused on the US to start. So the major payers in the US healthcare system, the insurance providers, are already providing reimbursement for our competitors' technology. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention about our competitors' technology, this genetics platform, is that they only get it right 15% of the time, according to their randomized clinical trials they just conducted. So we need, by getting it correct more than 15% of the time, we'll have a major impact. Despite this, they're still being reimbursed. So we'll be using these same reimbursement codes. The patient won't be paying uh, significantly, maybe a copay, which is how the American system works. But pretty much the cost of our test will be covered by our insurance providers. It's currently being covered by Medicare, Medicaid, United Healthcare, the VA, and many other private insurers. So the, the costs will be recovered on that bit by that mechanism. How are you planning on marketing your product? Are you going to go directly to doctors and ask them to use this with their patients to reduce the time it takes to find an effective treatment? 
That's an excellent question. Uh, firstly and most primarily, we'll be targeting the physicians uh, using medical sales liaisons. So these are the sales reps who come to the physicians to explain the technology to them. I think an important element of getting sway on the physicians is to work with key opinion leaders in the space. Some of the top psychiatrists are already very keen on the type of neurobiology platform we're bringing in. Um, so with our demonstrated readouts, we'll be working together with them to try and convey this to the community of psychiatrists. We'll also be working to, for primary care physicians, postpartum depression, elderly and uh, pediatrics. So there's, there's many different uh, specialties where this touches uh, on their practice. Um, we'll also be marketing to patients using online targeted ma marketing and working with patient forums because patients ultimately are playing a major role in their healthcare treatment now, now in 2020. Um, and so physician, patients can go to their physician and ask for this test and can potentially even order, depending on their state, order this test themselves and bring those results to the physician. Mm -hmm. How did you go from having an idea to a company with a product? We began with an idea formulated through understanding the kind of technology and science that was available in the world, um, the opportunity, the, the biomarkers that we were setting out to develop. Together with my co-founder, Daphne Leifenfeld, we designed a plan for how we could actually prove and demonstrate these biomarkers in a, in a lab setting. We did this without a lab, so we started our fundraising from a deck, I think is the, the way to describe it. Uh, and we both come, neither of us have started a startup before, so it's both of our, our first time founding. Uh, in order to understand what was really required to get a company like this off the ground, uh, that we had expen extensive experience in various parts of the industry, the startup is its own, its own beast. Um, so we joined, uh, Accelerator program. Uh, we joined Mass Challenge here in Jerusalem. It's actually a global program. It was a, a wonderful environment in order to understand where we stand, what, what other startups are doing, what the investors are expecting, what's around this wonderful facility we're working in here is a co-working lab, um, where we have access to equipment, but we only pay rent. Very important for an early stage biotech startup as the wow. infrastructure is very expensive. So, Learning about all of these opportunities, about the ecosystem and about the expectations, uh, we felt an accelerator was a, was very beneficial for us. Um, and then ultimately we learned more and more what we needed to be a successful early stage startup, uh, in the field through, through meetings with investors, through meetings with academics, through meetings with CEOs who have already successfully raised series, many rounds and taken products to the market. And it's through this network that we were able to get to where we are so far. How is the division of labor between you and your co-founder? Uh, so we're, I'm working full-time. She's part-time with the company. Um, and we join, jointly own all major decisions that take place with the company. Um, I'm focused more on the day-to-day -day and she's focused on strategy. Uh, and we work well together to bring about what we mm. need. Like you, I also came from the life sciences. You transitioned from an academic scientific role to being a startup founder. How do you get non-science people to understand your business needs? And how do you handle including big data and artificial intelligence? Uh, in terms of understanding the life sciences, I think that's really important. I think we sit, I think every day in life, you sit across the table from somebody who's not necessarily an expert in your topic or in what you're speaking about, or you share information because they don't know it. And that's why discussions are so interesting. 
Um, and I think a, a big mistake that lots of academics make when transitioning into industry is assume that everybody knows as much depth or is as interested in as much depth as they are in their, their subject area. So, and people are very busy in this world. So making sure that whenever you explain anything, you explain it clearly from the perspective as if they may never have come across these words in the first place, let alone the mechanisms underlying them and, uh, and make sure to keep, uh, keep the messaging clear. Um, in terms of bringing AI into our technology, I think that AI is everywhere. And I think that bringing in the big data elements, uh, as we grow our team in the 20, in the 21st century, we're all getting more and more experience with big data because that's what all types of science are starting to generate. And so learning how to deal with that and maximize it, we're definitely bringing in advisors and expertise to make sure that we're doing it as best we can. Uh, but I think it's just the reality of, of science today. So it seems that personalized medicine is the future of the pharmaceutical industry. Pharmaceutical companies want to sell as many drugs as possible, but your technology focuses specific groups of drugs for a particular patient. That's good for the patient, but is it also good for the pharmaceutical companies? So the pharmaceutical industry has very much understood that this is the way that the future lies. Uh, personalized medicines in the cancer space, 75% of new drug approvals are personalized mm -hmm. medicine. And in the general pharmaceutical space, it's 43%. So pharmaceutical companies understand that it's an asset for a drug now to have, to have a personalized, uh, medicine indication. So that means they have a guaranteed demographic of individuals who will be prescribed their drug. Right. So they are now seeing this as a, a blessing or the state of affairs, uh, and not a curse. And it's something that they're fully embracing. They're developing companion diagnostics, which mm -hmm. is a type of test which they would offer. And it, it uses this, it can use the same type of technology as ours. And we can work with those pharmaceutical companies to help them develop those companion diagnostics. That's part of our future revenue streams. And they're developing these types of tests, which mean that they can offer this test to physician clinics. They'll offer it at their own expense. And the physician will then know whether their drug is the right drug for their patient. If not, they can then go into the full plethora. There are many models that, that can work, but while our test is uh, completely democratic, any, any drug can be recommended from this test, uh, pharmaceutical companies are using these opportunities to help develop uh, guaranteed markets from this. So do you have currently collaborations with pharmaceutical companies as well? Uh, we don't have collaborations underway, but we've already been asked to speak at uh, conferences of major pharmaceutical companies and have pharmaceutical companies interested in using our platform. So we think in 2020 or maybe in early 2021, we'll be actually starting our first, our first partnership with a pharmaceutical firm. Who has invested so far in your company? Whatever you can disclose. And what are your plans regarding future investments? So we raised a seed round from uh, three VCs and one angel in August of 2018. We extended this round and uh, again in August 2019. So we're uh, well funded to last us through into 2021. Um, from this seed round, we've also taken in money from the Israel Innovation Authority uh, in their uh, competitive grant funding schemes that they offer. We took our investment in from early stage VCs, Miron Capital, Jump Speed Ventures, which invests in Jerusalem-based startups, and Sapir Ventures, and our angel is Howard Morgan, the founder of First Round Capital. Um, and it was an exciting journey to find those investors. We went through uh, several stages, met with many different types of investment vehicles, from 
incubators to angels to uh, family offices. And Mm -hmm. uh, we were lucky enough to get VC funding, which uh, at the end of the day. And we are looking towards raising a Series A uh, in the beginning of 2021. What's your timeline in terms of getting to the market? So we'd like to get to the market in 2022 um, with with a initial product. We're uh, starting clinical trials already this year in an observational manner, and we'll be doing uh, prospective clinical trials in 2021. And so that will set us up well for our market entry. Where do you plan on performing clinical trials? So we're already starting collaborations uh, here in Israel and in the east coast of the United States. Um, and those will be our sites moving forward. We're prototyping with these early clinical trials and hopefully work with the same teams for our prospective trials afterwards. So do you position your company to save money for healthcare providers because you'll get to a more efficient treatment faster? And how does that impact your pricing? Yeah, so the the estimations from a, a well-carried-out paper assessed the costs of patients who were not on the right drug for them compared to drugs patients who were being well-managed. Um, and had found the right treatment for them. The patients who were not were, it was around $13,000 per patient, direct cost to the insurance provider in that given year. Meanwhile, the well-treated patient, it was only $7,000. So there were major savings to be had by use, by getting the patient to the right test, the results and the right drug for them. That's not majorly impacted our pricing. Um, we could, that suggests we could go up to a very healthy, uh, Pricing over there about six thousand dollars. We won't be doing that. We'll be following. We'll be using our competitors' pricing and making sure that we are competitive with the market. Is your treatment a one-time deal per patient? You do the genetic testing for the patient and find out about their history. Would a patient need to take your test again after receiving treatments? Would it help them? So our initial offering is uh, we're gearing towards a single a single test offering, which is uh, we will provide three to four different antidepressants that the patient can, or the physician will choose between for to prescribe to the patient, which means that when the patient, if and when the patient does become tolerant to that drug after several years or no longer is getting the benefits from it and has another episode, they have another drug to move on to. However, we can offer a uh, repeat test at distinct time points. The patient won't necessarily have to give a new blood draw. It would be, we already will have the samples ready to reanalyze with the latest technology and the latest number of drugs that are available on the market and the additional learnings that Genetica Plus will have had over those several years. And so that that would be possible and we will consider the second offering. You're currently focused on depression. Are there other diseases or areas you're going to focus on? So we would very much like to expand into other mental illnesses. It's a, a much much needed in many of the psychiatric illnesses. We'll be expanding probably first into schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, and then consider ADHD as our third. So why did you start with depression? Uh, depression has a large, large market suffering with many, many, many medications, 70 medications. There's a lot yeah. to choose from. The readouts are very directional and major depression. It seemed like a clear first market to go into, but I'm very passionate about all of these spaces. I've done much research in in the schizophrenia space and and would love to bring something better to that Mm -hmm. area. I'm a patent attorney by training, as you know. How do you protect your intellectual property? What protects you from others copying what you're doing? Uh, So we have a patent around the specific biomarkers that we're using for our neurobiological platform. Um, And we're 
continuing to develop that patent and uh, protect it, as well as looking to bring in new patents into our pipeline around the methodologies that we're using, uh, as well as the algorithms that we're developing. Okay, last question. How did being a woman entrepreneur and a new immigrant to Israel affect your creating this business? I think being a uh, a new immigrant to the country was was challenging at first because I didn't have a significant network here. Um, finding my co-founder at the start was a challenge and I was very fortuitous to find, find such a phenomenal co-founder in Daphne Leifenfeld. And but that took work and it took commitment and it took and innovation. I, I found interesting routes to, to meet the right people and build that network over over the first year and a half I was here. And so I think that being a new immigrant is has its challenges. And I'm very fortunate that this country is uh, very, very receptive to uh, my English. Uh, and I think that in many other countries in the world, not having mastered yet the local language, especially in that first uh, first year or two, would have been more of a detriment. But here in Israel, we see that the globe is the is the future market and not just this country. And so actually having the network and the language from the Anglo world is a benefit and not a curse. Um, so I think that worked against me and to my advantage at the same time. Uh, and in terms of being a woman, um, it's hard to know which investment meetings didn't go well because of my uh, being a female founder as well. My co-founder is also a fem- female. Um, so we're very rare event of a two women founded company. I feel like it's a very positive environment here in Israel. The investors that I have are all very keen to make sure that they have representation in their portfolio, uh, diverse representation in our portfolio. And we have one of our investors is a female G general manager, general partner. I'm, I'm sure there are challenges, but I, I'm liking, I like to see it as being the right time to be a female founder. The world is changing in the way it's looking at female founders. The statistics are coming out that women take their investments further and create greater value with those smaller investments that they ever, that they get. Um, and so I'm trying to capitalize on the opportunity rather than be held back by it. Thank you, Talia. That was great. I really enjoyed our conversation and I learned a lot. Thank you very much. That was Talia Cohen-Solal, the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's just the beginning of many more to come. We'd love to hear about your startup and what you're working on. If you have a great innovation, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by going to jmbdavis.com forward slash startup. We have a special site specifically made for startups in order to help startups protect their innovations. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.